Welcome to the Spirituality Out Loud podcast, where you'll hear real-life stories of people's unique spiritual journeys in their own words from their own viewpoints. Hosted by Leslie Seidel, relationship expert and spiritual mentor, who specializes in working with people on their relationships, from their romantic life to their work life and just plain life. Here's Leslie. It's so hard to describe her and the amazing power that she possesses and her ability to be honest and open and um, just fierce, absolutely fierce. Uh, Alexis is a writer, an artist, a consultant, and a professional opinion giver, which I totally love. She's devoted to truth, justice, and liberation, and she lives in the spirit of her foremothers. She is, um, my conversation with her was so beautiful and so lovely, and I'm so grateful that she took the time to share herself with us. So please, please, please just stop what you're doing and have this wonderful moment to soak in this powerhouse of a lady. And here's Alexis. Hello, Alexis. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Leslie. It's good to be here. Yeah. So we're going to dive right in and hear your story. Um, And your story is, we start at the beginning, as you know, which is, how were you raised religiously or spiritually? Kind of how was that held in your family system? Uh, and as well as like how what you experienced it. So I actually had a, a bit of an interesting, uh, well, interesting might be an understatement for my childhood in many ways. Um, but I was adopted and I have uh, two adoptive mothers. Um, one of them uh, was Jewish and reform Jewish. Um, and the other one was Catholic. And, uh, I actually later found out like when I was a little bit older, um, that my mom actually attempted to become a nun at some point. (laughs) And there was like a whole saga that went along with her, like how, like she didn't become a nun. Um, but I was raised Roman Catholic. And the reason why, um, they ended up opting to raise my sibling and I, uh, Catholic was because we were living in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee at the time. Uh, my Jewish parent, Hilly, often called it uh, Chattanooga because at the time nobody knew where in the hell Chattanooga was. Um, and the nearest synagogue was a good 30 minutes to an hour away. I can't remember how far Atlanta is from, Ch- from Chattanooga, but it was in Atlanta. Um, and that's a really long drive to like take children, let alone like, uh, you know, day school and stuff, uh, for, yeah, Torah school, whatever it's called. Oops. I can't remember. I should know that, but I, yeah. So the Catholic church was basically like the best option because they basically looked at each other and said, who knows more? <laughs> and Catholic- so it wasn't because one felt stronger about it. It was simply convenience, which fair enough, right? Yeah. You're two kids. It's exhausting. And this is what was there. And mm-hmm. if she wanted to be a nun. She did feel deeply her religion. Yeah, it's interesting because, um, you know, having same-sex parents who were in, I've never really entirely been clear as to what was going on with their relationship, like, because that's their business, Um, but, you know, but I do know that they were both queer, 
you know, they were both gay. <laughs> um, um, at the minimum, um, you know, like it was, my mother had a very difficult relationship with the Catholic Church because obviously yeah. the Catholic Church is not exactly known for being friendly uh, to gay people and to gay families. Mm -hmm. um, but my mother did have her own personal relationship with her spirituality and it was important to her. Um, and it was important to them that we be raised with some sort of like moral structure to at least build on. Mm -hmm. um, and also being in Tennessee, uh, it was also a matter of like pragmatism too, because the public schools weren't that great. Mm -hmm. um, so sending us to private Catholic school, uh, which is something that they had the means to do, you know, was a pragmatic choice to ensure that we had like a decent education and, you know, had the resources that we need, needed as children. So no, it wasn't ever, you know, oh, you know, Judaism or is better than Catholicism or this is better than that. It was really just what's practical in the moment. And my parents were never um, particularly uh, demonstrative, like with their spiritual beliefs. And they weren't also like they weren't impositional either. So when <laughs> fast forward about 12, 13 years, um, when I first sort of sort of you know, started to explore spirituality on my own. Um, when I came to my mom and I said, I'm a witch and I'm practicing Wicca, she was just like, what's that? You're not going to be sacrificing cats in the backyard, are you? And I was just like, no, mom. And she's like, okay, cool, whatever. <laughs> you do you, baby. <laughs> so there was no, there. so did they, either of them have an uh, interest in you being Jewish or being Catholic? No, like, like so they weren't in the home. Like it was a good thing out in the world. Mm -hmm. Did you go to Sunday school or was it just school? I did. Yes, I did go to catechism mm -hmm. um, right up until about middle school. And the reason why we stopped going was because uh, we were sort of like at the age of maturity. So like my brother and I were like 13, 14 years old. Um, and the Catholic church that we had been parishioners at started to take a very kind of like hard right turn and it made my mother very uncomfortable. Um, and my brother had some very contentious experiences uh, with catechism classes um, and with his catechism teacher, some of which in hindsight were a little bit racially questionable now that I think about it. Yeah. Um, but like he was not, he was very deeply uncomfortable. I just didn't care. Like I, I told my mom, I was just like, I don't rock with Jesus that way. Yeah. Like I'm well, going to. It's beautiful that they listened to you guys. They really wanted to protect your, your brother and you mm -hmm. and say, okay, well, we gave it a shot. We give you guys this, this foundation yeah. and it's not calling to you and things are going awry. Yeah. And so during that time, it sounds like that's when you decided to become a witch. Mm -hmm. What, how did that happen? So I actually didn't really decide to become a witch. I was, so it's, it's a really funny story. Um, I had gotten my own library card. I was very excited because they finally let me into the adult section because I didn't want anything to do with the children's area of the library. Um, and I was just like wandering around. I've always had an interest in mythology and kind of like folklore and like that kind of stuff. And I was walking around like just in between, um, you know, the various aisles, minding my own business. And I was looking for uh, a copy of Bullfinch's mythology um, or Bullfinch's fables. 
anthology. Can't remember the name of the book. It's Edith Bullfinch. Um, <laughs> and while I was sort of like meandering around, I was like moving around books and whatnot and like trying to like reach things on various high shelves. And <laughs> all of a sudden I had a book fall off one of the shelves and like hit me in the face. And I was just like, what in the world? And the book ended up being a Dane McCoy's If You Want to Be a Witch. And I was just like, I would like to be a witch. What is this about? <laughs> um, so I picked up this book and I plopped my, I literally plopped down like in the middle of the library aisle because I was one of those children. Um, and I started like skimming through this book and like looking at this book and I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, this is how I felt for like a very long time like same hand motions too um so I was just like I need to bring this book home mm-hmm. I need to find out more about this so I ended up bringing home a Dane's book and I think I might have also picked up Wicca for the Solitary Practitioner which is by Scott Cunningham um and I squirreled those little suckers home like hiding them from my mother so she didn't know like they were intermingled <laughs> with my other books um and I just devoured them Um, And I really sort of resonated with this idea of there's more to the world than what we see and to this idea of being able to affect change. Um, And I've, and I've always been very spiritually sensitive. Um, When I was very little, um, my, my mother later told me, and I'm sure we'll talk about this story uh, here shortly. Then my mother told me that when I was little, because she used to work at a hospital, um, I would sometimes, like, have tantrums about, like, going to see her at the hospital. And I'd be like, oh, they bothered me. Like, people bother me. And my mother's just like, what in, the, what in the world are you talking about, child? And I, now in hindsight as an adult, I think it was just, like, spiritual, like, information. Mm-hmm. Like, people bothering me. Mm-hmm. Or whatever it might be. I don't know. Children are weird. Um, <laughs> I, was well, do you, I mean, so what you're talking about is mediumship, right? So like, yeah. do you have an experience of meeting mediumship now? Yes, I do actually have um, several experiences. And that's actually part been a part of the last like seven, eight years. Um, and it started before that my first uh, sort of exposure to uh, mediumship was actually when I uh, attempted suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, sexually assaulted and raped and physically abused. Uh, when I was in my early teens, um, I was basically brainwashed um, by an 18-year-old man, um, and he, I ended up becoming pregnant as a result of being raped. I also was sexually abused as a child uh, by one of my parents, her father. Um, he sexually abused me for seven years, almost seven years, in various ways. Um, so I had a very traumatic, very painful childhood. One of my parents was also severely mentally ill and verbally and emotionally abusive. So when I found out I was pregnant, um, based on how they had handled me coming forward about my grandfather, um, I just, I, I collapsed, like I collapsed in on myself and I ended up overdosing on pain medication. Um, and I got very lucky that my other parent had her mommy spidey sense and was just like, did you take something? Like, what's going on? Like, and she was also a nurse too, so I'm sure that was part of her intuition there. But during that process, while I was in the hospital, I had a dream about a young man who came to me and he said, you know, I know, I know your mother. It's not your time yet. You and your brother were my gifts to her. And I was just like, 
these are some mighty strong drugs. <laughs> what, what, yeah, you had a lot going on, right? So yeah, and I was yeah. Just, yeah, and then just kind of like thought it was really weird, and like I like fanned it off, and like I didn't pay it any mind. And then fast forward a few years later, about four years later, I was in a relationship with a young man um, who mentally like had his own stuff going on. And one night um, he called me, and he was very much in distress, uh, and that night I had another dream. It was the same young man who came to me and said, talk to your mother about this. Because what had happened was, is that he was suicidal and I was very deeply afraid that he was going to hurt himself. And, you know, I'd be burying this person that I was planning on marrying and, you know, was moving in that direction. We were both moving. in that. So I go to my mother, Charlotte, and I said, I have something I need to tell you. Please don't put me back in the mental hospital. Mm. <laughs> Please. And she's just like, oh, okay, I can't make any promises. Depends on what you tell me, but I'll do my best. And I started telling her about the dreams that I had and describing this young man. And I remember, I distinctly remember like her face literally going pale and just like her getting really quiet, really still. And I was just like, oh boy, what? <laughs> oh no, <laughs> what's going to happen? And the first words she said to me were, I didn't even tell your mother. Mm. And I was just like, tell mama what? <laughs> like, wait a minute. Turns out that when she was about 18 years old, she uh, was a nursing student at a Mary Baldwin, uh, which used to be a, a women's college. It was a nursing school. Mm -hmm. um, and it was right down the road from Dartmouth. And at the time, Dartmouth was dudes only, right? Um, cause my, both of my parents were older. My, my parent, Charlotte was born in 1940 to give y'all an idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were 45 and 50 when they adopted kids. Like they were a little, they were a little late to the party, but she went to a frat party with some friends of hers and she met this young man and they instantly hit it off and they started dating. Um, but the thing is, is that he was Jewish and my mother was Catholic. And back in the day, like Jewish kids dating Catholic, Jewish boy with Catholic girl was just as bad as black boy with white girl. Um, so they had to, so they dated in secret just because it was just easier to do it that way. Um, and the night that he proposed to my mother, um, he ended up getting in a car accident on his way home and he was killed um, mm -hmm. immediately. Like he hit a tree, like he, it was in the middle of winter. He lost control of his vehicle. He hit a tree and he died. Mm -hmm. um, so my mother didn't even get to go to the funeral because nobody knew that they were dating. Her, her family didn't know. His family didn't know. And it was just a very traumatic loss for my mother. Um, and she, she didn't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. um, and she was very much in love with him and was planning on having a life with them. And after that, she just kind of threw herself into her career and just kind of went on with her business. So my mother tells me this, and I'm just like, oh, wow, okay, that's creepy. And I very jokingly said to her, so promise me that when you die, <laughs> you'll come bother me. Mm. She said, yes, baby, I promise, like, I'll come harass you, like, mm -hmm. when I die. Little did I know um, that literally two years later my mom would pass away um uh yeah so she had a stroke uh during my first my first week of college finals my first college finals ever my mother has a stroke 
I drop everything. And for the first time in my entire academic career, I have a GPA well below a 2.0. <laughs> like, well, well below a 3.0 because I never had anything less than these um, or rarely did. But I dropped everything because I didn't know if she was going to live or not. Um, and that set off like a whole chain of events that has been like the last seven, eight years, including for me spiritually. Uh, yeah. When the mediumship kind of came roaring back and opened up and yeah. So what you're saying, what I hear you saying is that although you didn't have any kind of outside help, you were naturally had an affinity to mediumship and you naturally had some of this, but you didn't have a container. You didn't have someone to, to guide you. You didn't really have it. You did have some books. Mm -hmm which is very helpful, but, um, but it was a natural thing that was occurring for you. And your mother was sure, and at least gave you some affirmations that the mm -hmm. person that, that she knew the person that had been talking to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which was, which, as I said, was kind of like weird to me because I never like thought of my mother, like having a romantic life or, you know, life, anything or else. with a man. Or with a man, yeah. um, you know, so that was like a little jarring. I was like, wait a minute, hold up. You mean you're a person? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's mean, part I of mean, the growing up. Yeah, we yeah, all have I mean, it. Like most 18-year-olds aren't just like, but it's mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like it was, it was jarring on that level. It was also, I kind of brushed it off. Like even then, like I just kind of went, yeah, and brushed it off. And I had kind of like a wishy-washy, for lack of a better way to describe it, kind of relationship with the spiritual at that point. I wasn't entirely sure if I believed in God or anything bigger at that point. But I also knew that the only intellectually honest position <laughs> was agnosticism. I don't know. I have a preference, but otherwise we can't actually know. <laughs> um, so I was kind of like in that boat. And I had floated away from Wicca at that point and, you know, was just kind of cool agnostic teen. Um, and then I went away to college and the college that I went to was Columbia College, South Carolina. It's a very small little women's college in Columbia, South Carolina, literally. Um, the name tells you where it is. Um, <laughs> um, and it was, the entire student body was about 1500 people. Mm. Keep in mind, my graduating class from high school was 750 kids. So it was very much a culture shock for me to go from fairly liberal, you know, open-minded South Florida to deep in the heart of the South, the, the child of gay parents as a Black woman who was also kind of wrestling with her sexuality and her spirituality to a, a Methodist school or Methodist-affiliated school where 90% of the student body and my peers were all very religious Christian girls. That's an interesting choice. That full tuition money. Um. <laughs> um, like real talk, like they offered me full tuition um, and it was close and it was warm. Um, I was, I did, I was admitted to an Ivy League school, but I just, I didn't want to go. Like, I just didn't. It's okay. I didn't give a shit. A lot of people, like, every time I say that to people, they're just like, but why wouldn't you want to go to Harvard? And I'm just like, because. Like, have you seen some of the kids that go to Harvard? Like, they're not exactly my crowd. <laughs> well, neither is this, though. Yeah. Which but is an interesting choice. 
Yeah. And the main, like the, the main thing that kind of made a difference was that I would be closer, closer to home and there wasn't so much pressure. Mm. There was a part of me that said, don't go, don't go to Cambridge. Don't go, don't go that far North. First of all, it's too cold to freeze to death. Second of all, <laughs> you know, you don't like any of the children. Third, just don't go. Like mm. you just won't wasn't the right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if I had dropped out of Harvard, that would have emotionally devastated me. I probably, that probably would have made me suicidal. Like, I, I don't think I'd be here if I had gone, you know, against my gut instinct at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, because so much of my identity at that stage was wrapped up in intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. And sort of always being the smart one. And I think if I had you know, tanked out, <laughs> tanked out of Harvard, you know, like that's a, that's a new low, <laughs> like for me. It's not right. Like it is, it is in the experience. And then you yeah. to hold the fact that, you know, y- you can hold that there was a very valid reason for that to occur. Yeah. Right. And, um, yeah. okay. So now your mom is sick or she passed away. I'm not, I'm confused. Um, she, so when I was at Columbia college, uh, she had her stroke. Um, so she was sick at the time. Um, my other parent, Hilly, uh, her mental illness was starting to get worse um, because my grandmother's health was declining. So was my grandfather's health. And there's just a lot of stuff going on family wise. Um, I ended up finishing the year. I came back home about nine months after I came back home was when my pa- was when Charlotte passed away. Mm-hmm. That was devastating. And I still remember that morning, Crystal crystal clear I actually felt a pang in my chest what I later learned was the moment that she died or the moment the time that they put on her death certificate she had a heart attack she went into cardiac arrest and she passed away from sepsis because uh, she had fallen and broken her hip and you know complications from that but about a month I'd say about a month after she passed away one morning I just woke up with like this irrepressible urge to get a tarot deck Mm. Like, I need to get a tarot deck. I don't know why, but I need to. I need to. And you hadn't gotten one prior. I had one prior. This is this is the interesting thing. So I had one prior that I had somehow managed to get from Barnes Noble. I'm still not entirely sure how it came into my possession, but I couldn't read with it uh, because the pips weren't illustrated, and it was just like really like huge, like (laughs) it's like the size. It was like the size of my head. Like it was like really hard for me to like hold and shuffle. Um, And the pips weren't illustrated. And the to be honest, like the court cards and the majors weren't that greatly illustrated either but it was kind of a shitty deck but I kind of toyed with it and I read with it and you know poked at it a little bit Mm -hmm. um so I ended up buying two decks I got my first copy of the Radiant Rider Weight um and the traditional Rider Weight which is the yellow box the one that comes in the yellow box that looks horishly garishly colored like like the, the the illustration is like patently terrible um, so I got these decks and I started doing readings, like, almost immediately. Like, I didn't read any books. I just picked up the cards and I went. And uh, I started doing readings for friends and I started, like, researching into it more and taking it more seriously just to kind of condense the story and move things along. Um, I ended up kind of falling into the tarot community. And at one point, I was working as a volunteer uh, reader on um, for the American Tarot Association. Like, they have, like, free one-card readings that you can do. I went to a class um, while I was still living in Florida at this point. And then at some point in here, 
after reading for a while, um, I met this girl uh, who was kind of artsy and cool. Her name was Melissa. Um, and she was just like, oh, you read tarot? That's really cool. I'm organizing like this art and music event at this local, you know, little vegan cafe called Mother Earth Cafe. Would you like to come read? And I was just like, sure, I guess. That's cool. So I was relegated to the porch because Miss Patty didn't want me reading cards in the shop because it pumped up the vibe. Um, <laughs> um, and I was reading for tips all night. And that, towards the end of the night, um, this black woman who was older came to me and said, oh, are you doing readings? And I was like, yeah, sure. Minding my own business. Um, and she sits down and she's just like, well, can I have a reading? And I'm just like, sure. So I'm just going about my business. And at this point, Miss Patty was out on the, was out on the porch because she smoked and she was giggling in the corner. And I was just like, why is she laughing? Like, what's so funny? Like, I'm just very confused right now doing, doing my thing. And I get to the end of the reading and this woman looks at me and she says, do you know who I am? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no. Should I know who you are? And then all of a sudden she puts on the accent and it's like this Jamaican accent. And I'm just like, no, no, it can't be. It was Miss Cleo. Like it was Yori. <laughs> her real name is Yori. May she, her soul rest in peace. And she's just like, yeah, so you're very talented. And I was just like. Uh, so I don't know who she is. Tell oh, Miss Cleo is. and the Psychic Friends Network. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So she retired, apparently she retired to West Palm Beach, like after, like she got out of her legal situation, <laughs> that legal mess. Um, and she had retired to South Florida with her children. Mm -hmm. And she was actually there that night because she was a poet mm -hmm. um, and she was reading her poetry, which was actually very beautiful and quite potent. She was talking about police brutality and social justice and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and she and I ended up having like this long conversation about like, her spiritual experiences and her spiritual gifts and her experience with the Psychic Friends Network. Because, <laughs> um, of course, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Um, and at some point in this conversation, uh, I remember her saying something to me along the lines of, you know, you have a gift. Take care of it. You know, mm. don't squander it. And I was just, like, super geek because I read tarot from Miss Cleo. Like, what? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so that happened. And Tarot was kind of like my first kind of like real serious foray um, into kind of like this broader spiritual world. So, so it seems like you've kind of dabbled in the several things while having a pretty intense life. Yes. And so what does it look like today? What is, how does, how did, like, what's the through line and like, where are you at today? Yeah. So I would say that divination and, you know, divination, which is card readings, looking to the divine, um, being an oracle, uh, has been the main through line through all of this. It's my intuitive and kind of like spiritual gifts there, if you want to call them that. I just mm -hmm. call them this weird shit that I do. And over the course of the years, from, from this period, uh, my mother passed away my other mother like steadily lost her mind. Um, mm -hmm. I had to flee from home, like literally flee from home from a very dangerous situation. Um, I started reading tarot for clients like on the internet because I literally, I can't drive because I have a chronic migraine condition. So I'm legally not allowed to drive. 
Um, I had no money, like barely in a job history, no degree, nothing. So I started reading tarot on the internet and Mm. doing other things, but tarot was the main thing. Um, And doing readings was kind of like how I built up um, this kind of network and this like started building up community on the internet and outside of people that I immediately knew. Uh, At some point in here, um, while doing uh, energy work for a client, um, I ended up having my sort of like first deity encounter, like my first sort of like encounter uh, with the divine, with the big D. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that, I ended up converting to pan-Germanic heathenism. Um, so it's the Norse and German- Germanic, Slavic, Balkan um, gods and goddesses and sort of like those spiritual beliefs and cosmologies, which I don't know if you know this, I'm black. So <laughs> for those of you who can't see you. Yeah, listening to this. Yeah, and those are not black. Yeah, no. Um, that's not exactly like the first choice. People would go, yes, African American black woman from you know the United States definitely going to work with Norse deities. Well, how did that happen? So the story on that was that I was um, doing a practice that I called world walking, which for some of you who are familiar uh, with core shamanism and stuff, it's basically journeying. I just use different language for it out of respect, out of respect to first nations and indigenous people. I was world walking on behalf of a client, minding my own business. Um, And in the process of doing this, um, this woman, this very light-skinned, she was almost shimmery, etheric, blonde-haired woman just kind of shows up. I'm just like, who are you? Why are you here? Mm-hmm. What are you doing here? This is weird. Um, and she comes up to me, and, like, she's not talking. I can hear her voice, but she's physically not talking. Her mouth is not moving. Um, and she says, uh, you know, I am Ir. And I'm just like okay that's good why are you here this is like because you know i i want to talk to you like and i have things that i want to share with you basically i'm articulating from energy Mm -hmm. um so you know that wasn't what was exactly said to me um and then she took my hands in hers and it was just like this really weird moment i was like okay weird lady that's cool i went about my business and i just kind of brushed off and then for several months afterwards, she kept showing up. Every time I would world walk, she would be there. And then all of a sudden, like, Freya shows up. And I'm just like, why are you here? Like, I didn't call any of you. Like, what? Leave me alone. Yeah. Um, and I'm also freaked out because my only exposure to Norse, Norse paganism at this point uh, was what I heard when I was a child, like when I was in, involved with Wicca. And at that point, Asatruar, which is like a form of Norse paganism, had a really bad reputation for white supremacist beliefs and like neo-Nazis, mm-hmm. which we still have that problem as a community. Um, and it's and it's gotten worse over the years in some ways. Um, but the general sort of sentiment was the only people who work with Norse deities this way are white supremacists, right? And this, this community is hostile to people of color. Um, so I was immediately like, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> well, also, you had a rich tradition being a woman of color, right? So it's an interesting yes thing. No, so that's the interesting part. Okay. Because at this point, I had only very limited exposure to what 
um, you would call the African traditional religions. So Haitian voodoo, Santeria, Lukumi, um, or Ocho de la, de la Regla, oh my goodness, can't say things. Uh, you know, those types of traditions that come from African cosmologies and African spiritualities. Um, I grew up in South Florida, so Santeria is something that is there, especially down in Miami and, and then Hialeah. Um, but it wasn't something that I had actively looked at or actively pursued because it just kind of didn't occur to me for whatever reason. Um, and also because there was a lot of mis there's a lot of mystery and sort of like misconceptions and really ugly political propaganda around those types of beliefs. So I actually didn't have like that, that body of wisdom that I necessarily registered. And at this point I was not as, politically left and woke as I am now. Mm -hmm. um, I was a light-skinned black woman raised by two white people and in a predominantly white family. I was still kind of like swimming in the bubble a little. Mm -hmm. um, this <laughs> so it didn't occur to me to look to my blackness because I had no conception, mm -hmm. deep conception of, of my identity as a black woman at this point. Okay. Um, so basically, long story short, I had enough visitations from weird spirits. Um, I met my best friend, Michelle, who happened to be a heathen, practicing heathen as well. Um, and I started reading and I did my own little ceremony and I converted in 2013. From there, uh, I had my first exposure to the idea of like formal magic beyond just like Wiccan ceremony. Mm -hmm. um, I purchased on a whim, a copy of, well, I had purchased it a couple of years before, but I just hadn't read it for whatever reason. Um, Jason Miller's a strategic, the sorcerer's, the sorcerer's secrets. Yes. Yeah. Got a whole bunch of things confused. Um, and I started reading that book and it was like really instrumental in kind of like opening me up spiritually to different possibilities. And then fast forward four years, I'm here now. <laughs> well what I what I hear is what do you have any um uh do you have any mentors oh right yes. into that or a community like I what what I've heard is a lot of books and a lot of things like that but I haven't heard um, mm -hmm. a community and so is there a community for you uh yes and no so I did I have had a ton of teachers and mentors along the way um my my first two spiritual teachers, my very first teacher was actually Karen Hager, the Fog City Psychic. She's really lovely. Mm -hmm. um, and I took her psychic development class to really kind of like learn how to get a handle on my spiritual and my mediumship gifts, mm -hmm. uh, especially, especially the psychic gifts. Um, and then shortly like after that, I worked uh, with Lisa Wechtenheiser, who now channels Prince which is awesome. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, but she also taught me a lot about, you know, working with my intuition um, and my gut instinct. And then I kind of like wandered alone for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and then I worked briefly with Kimberly Arana, who is a really potent me medicine woman herself. Mm -hmm. um, and then I kind of wandered a little bit more <laughs> and um, I started learning a lot from uh, Jason Miller, who, who also goes by M Emma, 
never mind. I'm not going to say his magical name, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, so I started learning from him. Um, and then I encountered uh, Josephine McCarthy's body, body of work. Uh, she's mm-hmm. one of the teachers of the Coria, uh, which is a magical order. Um, but unlike you traditional magical orders, um, you, and I don't have a better way to describe it except open source. If you do the work, they have their entire curriculum online, nothing's hidden. Um, you can basically work through their entire curriculum and never have to pay a dime for any books or anything like that. If you want to have formal mentoring that's available to you, um, and obviously, you know, you compensate people for their time and labor there, um, but it's completely open source. And I'm, I'm working through uh, the Quoria still to this day because it takes several years. You know, I, I encountered Josephine's work, so I sort of looked to her as like a mentor and, you know, kept going about my business. Um, and then I met Chris Durkies, who is a dear friend of mine and also one of my mentors at present. Um, and he and I worked together over a period of time. There are a whole bunch of people, like, everywhere. Like, I, like, I'm constantly learning from others. Like, and, and it might not always be one-to-one, mm-hmm. um, but I, but that sort of, like, idea of community, I'll be in, like, a really disconnected sense has always been there for me. Um, but in terms of, like, immediate community, like, people that I relate to, like, in live time, kind of, like, as a group, um, that has actually been fairly new. And that actually started because I kicked it off because mm-hmm. I started, and this is not open for members, although people who know me might ask. Um, I have a little secret Facebook group. Now it's not secret anymore. It's just yeah, secret. yeah. Um, but I have like an invite only uh, group um, where we talk about magic and all sorts of spiritual stuff, but it's not like it's a very loosely kind of like informal community. And that's always been a point of contention for me because I, I do come from a very volatile family background. So this idea of being in community with other people is something that I re- relate to very much as a hermit and as an introvert and as an outsider. Mm. Um, I want what's best for the collective, but in terms of like actually dealing with other people sometimes, um, it triggers a lot of my trust issues. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I am amazed by your story. <laughs> it sounds like, you know, I really am. Um, what I hear, what I hear is you, a combination of like you following the, the intuition, you following, you know, I, my own personal story is that I, I really have followed the lit up squares, right? Like that's how I look at it. And I tend to be heading in a certain direction, but it's really about going, I need this. Oh, look, it appears. I need this. Oh, look, it appears. And it, and, and in that way I heal and I get more connected. And, and I really hear that in your story, right? I really hear how, um, this happens. And so, and then you get the the support in perfect time, right? And, and that, um, from what I hear you saying, and you can correct me if it's wrong, it's been a very fulfilling path, a hard one, which yeah. life tends to be, but it yeah. also an incredibly fulfilling path. And you have, you have diligently stayed on it, right? And done the work. Yeah. And that's, it's beautiful and hard. And yeah, yeah and I really honor that work that you've done. 
but yeah, that's pretty much been what it is. Like when, if I had to describe myself as a pr- practitioner, I would always say that I'm spirit led. Like I talk to the spirits. I talk to mother earth before I listen to humans sometimes. Yeah. Um, and it's very much been, uh, you know, just kind of going from going on faith. Mm-hmm. And if I had anything in this life, that is the one thing I seem to have in like the tiniest, like the, the whole thing about the faith, the size of a mustard seed. Yeah. That, that's me. Like my, my, my faith is so like itty bitty bitty, like in some ways, but it's also like what's contained in that space is just, I don't know how to articulate it. I have a boundless amount of faith. I don't know why. Don't know how. I shouldn't after all the things. I mean, I could argue you should. You've had all these gifts. You've had all these like visitations. You've had all the, you know what I mean? Like there there are ways in which you have totally had this like very dramatic, really intense experience. I mean, I think on both, right? Mm -hmm. You've lost a parent really, really young. You've had really um, uh, tragic experiences. And then you also had visitations and, you know, dead people talking to you, you know, like that's a lot. Yeah. And funnily enough, well, it's not funny, but enough. Um, It was a couple of years ago. So a couple of years ago, my second parent, my mentally ill parent um, committed suicide Mm. and that absolutely destroyed me for she passed away the day after her birthday. And if anybody had told me that my last words to my mother would be, I love you and I'll talk to you later, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have believed them because we went for a whole like year where we just did not speak. Yeah. And so when she died, like it just absolutely destroyed me, wrecked me. And I literally crawled in bed and did not get out of bed for two months and was thinking about having myself hospitalized because I was just like in that deep and dark of a place. Um, And oddly enough, her passing that way and sort of having to go through this whole grieving experience and also having to deal with family and legal stuff and the, the, the aftermath of, occasion um has really galvanized my relationship with spirit and with the spiritual Mm -hmm. Uh, because it brought up a tremendous amount of existential pain i don't really have any other way to describe that um and if there's anybody else in the audience who has lost a loved one to suicide that survivor's grief like that survivor's guilt and grief and the gravity of the pain that comes with that type of loss, um, especially knowing that the person that you love suffered the way that they were suffering, they were suffering so much that they felt this was their only way out. It does a lot to you. And it was actually kind of like in that moment where I just kind of shouted out to the universe, you know, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this pain. I don't know how to be here. Um, And I did actually start to come back to my roots, my biological roots, you know, as a black woman. 
um, as a native woman, because my, my birth mother uh, is actually half Cherokee, mm-hmm. um, and sort of like rooting back into that lineage um, that I had felt really disconnected from for whatever reason. Well, I mean, I know why I felt disconnected. I shouldn't mm-hmm. say for whatever reason. I know the exact reasons. <laughs> but that has been tremendously healing. If anybody had told me that losing my mother that way would yield wholeness for me, I wouldn't have believed them. Yeah, I think, I think there's a, I think that there's a, there's a a line in a practice that I do and it, and they say, you know, you stand at the turning point and we stand at the turning point and there are small turning points for sure, but there's also really big ones. And those big ones, when you're just knocked on the floor and cannot move. And one of the reasons I do this podcast is to really talk about a spiritual life. Like it's really easy to, for me to come up here and be like, oh my God, it's so amazing. And I just listen to what God says and it's awesome. And that is true, right? And that's really easy to have that public persona or talk about it in that space. But it's also like me on the floor, sobbing, ugly crying, cannot move. What do I do now? I have no choice. And that opening that gets created in that type of particular pain is a deeper and more intense opening when you then say, all right, let's do this. My goal in life is to have that opening without such pain. Like that's really what I'm (laughs) fighting for, right? I'm fighting to get to that space of total surrender without loss like that. Um, I just, I, I, you know, it's still a choice. Like you still chose it. You chose this life. You chose this path and you chose spirit. And that is, um, and even if your spirit is Jesus and if your spirit is like whatever that spirit is for you, um, that's what you chose. And, and in, in, in the world, according to me today, you know, that, that request sent out is responded to. And that's what I hear you saying, right? That request sent out is responded to and, and I think that in those moments, in such dire straits, which um, that request, you, you hit that ball out of the park, right? In that moment, you're just like, this, right? I need yeah. this. And then that got responded to, right? And, yeah. and healed you in a way that wasn't healed prior, right? Like, that's the thing that I find so beautiful is that, like, yes, you had such deep, deep, deep pain. And what I hear you saying is, the response back was such deep healing. We're out of time. So I wanted to say thank you so much. I, I honor the fact that you were so open and willing to tell us your entire story and, and, that, and to be so vulnerable with um, this is your path. And I really appreciate that. And I think that that for me is how other people, you know, my goal is to have people who are sitting there by themselves go, oh my gosh, me too. Yeah. Right? And you you gave that to people today. Well, I'm glad I could share my story. Thank you for having me on. Um, I apologize for being a little bit rambly in there. <laughs> um, I'm not used to being asked to just tell the story. Usually I just have to kind of like drive through the version. No, um, no, it's beautiful. I don't think you were rambling. I trust in spirit, right? Yeah. I trust that what, had, what got to come out came out. 
And what we'll do is we'll have some um, links in the notes to how to get a hold of you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. To how to see your work and also some links into all of the people we talked about, right? So we want to give people that opportunity because I know you're still doing readings for people, yes? Yes, I am. Um, so like how that shows like just all the spiritual stuff now shows up for me. Um, it's very much related to social justice, but also to um, how we re relate to resources and to one another and with Mother Earth. Um, so I'm an anti-capitalist business strategist. I work with businesses who want to um, be a part of dismantling capitalism and, you know, building up a more sustainable, equitable, just and kind and compassionate replacement um, for the economic system that we've been given. Um, but I also am very much still in my village witch space. Um, I do, uh, I do ancestor work now um, and I'm adding some more things like as I go along, but I'm always available to like village witch, like people just are just like, can you help me with this? just like sure let's throw some cards let's see what the spirits have to say <laughs> you know <Yeah. laughs> um so yes i'm still very much in that space i'm always happy to talk with people and connect as i can um so yeah sure awesome well thank you again so much and um uh everyone will find a way to connect on at coachlesley.com forward slash podcast and it'll have all that information for you Bye for now. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode of Spirituality Out Loud. Be sure to rate us, review us, and like us on Facebook, and share us with your friends.